Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. ...to the flow, but it was a really good time being there, uh, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the church that we support in a small uh, uh, city uh, that's about three hours southwest of Tokyo. Tokyo is the largest city in the world, 35 million people. Um, and we spent uh, a day there, and then we got on trains out to uh, Izu, which is a small city, <clears throat> and it's actually the end of the line. The train ends in Izu. If you, need, if you need to go any further down that peninsula, you have to take buses and other forms of transportation. So the people uh, on, on Saturday, a lot of the pastors from the other churches that uh, are in fellowship with the uh, church in Japan came to celebrate. And they, it's fun to listen to them because they're all from the bigger cities. And they're like, man, this really is country. And I was talking to Ruben. He said, so it's like, it's like the Vandalia of Japan. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's the Vandalia of Japan. So I love the correlation there. But it was a great time. And, um, you know, uh, just so you know uh, that uh, being faithful here it has impact around the world uh, because both uh, Pastor Dennis and his wife Kaku uh, mentioned very clearly numerous times that they, they don't think there would be any way that they could have survived the 25 years of ministry if it hadn't been for the uh, support that they've received from us and from you. And so our support of them uh, really makes a difference. And at the same time, uh, Brother Luke was in Europe. <clears throat> And so we had, uh, from this church, folks in uh, Asia and Europe and good old North America all at the same time. Pretty cool, huh? And so being part of a local congregation, just showing up faithfully, doing kids' ministry, uh, being faithful to worship, it edifies you, and that's, that's the purpose of coming to church, is to strengthen your faith. It edifies, it builds up the people in the room, the, in the community. We're out to, our, our goal is to change this region for Jesus. But in doing that, we also have an impact worldwide. And sometimes you lose, lose uh, thought of that, but it, it really, really is true. And so your faithfulness enables us to make a difference in other nations, other continents. So thank you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. We are continuing um, the series. You need to switch that monitor over or else I won't be able to see the notes. I don't think they know how to do that. Nobody's back there, Mark. <laughs> um, on Be Light, we've been talking through uh, um, the book of First uh, John, the letter. Um, actually, you may not know this, but um, the epistles, <clears throat> which is the fancy term that we use for the letters that were written to uh, various churches and various individuals, uh, that we find in the New Testament uh, uh, became a form of literature, uh, primarily because of how they were used by uh, uh, the church. And um, like Paul would write to the church in Galatia, and so we called it Galatians, and he would use those teaching, and then that got compiled into what we now call the Bible. Um, and so uh, they, it became a, a way in which we can learn doctrine. And First John and uh, the previous teachers the last couple of weeks have already uh, discussed some of the background, so I won't go into that. 
But John is, is, is kind of unique, the letters of John, because uh, one, it's written by John, you know, the Apostle John, one of the key figures in the New Testament. But also they were written much later in, in the history. We don't know the exact date, but it was near the end of the first century. Um, and so this so, 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 you know, could have been 50 years uh, as much as 50 years after, the, uh, after Jesus was crucified, uh, 40 to 50 years. And so the church had been established and it was dealing with different problems. And this is later in John's life. So this is a seasoned man of God, a leader of God, a man who, uh, when he was a young man, walked with Jesus, but then lived out his faith and is giving his final words, or his words of exhortation to the churches that, and, the, and the Christians in his day. So we're going through an expository. That means you kind of take it verse by verse or section by section and, and talk to it. And I love teaching expositorily. We don't do it a lot. We try to do once or twice a year, squeezing in a, a, an expository sermon <coughs> series. Uh, topical sermon series are also just as good, but um, it's, I enjoy it because it enables us just to hit, hit, touch on different topics that we normally wouldn't. Uh, because it just, whatever comes up in the scripture as we're going through it. Part one was done by the Mensers a couple of weeks ago, and they identified three purposes uh, uh, for the letter, which was to refute false teaching, to give believers confidence, and to describe righteous living. And it's, it's really true that they kind of, those are the three main ideas that it touched on in, throughout the letter. And um, I've been talking with uh, the other uh, teachers. Next week, you'll have uh, Jimmy in here teaching through the whole of uh, chapter three. And so if you want to be prepared, read chapter three, you know, and uh, be ready to listen to the teaching. But there's, there's, uh, John writes cyclically. He kind of touches on the same topic numerous times in numerous ways, and then you have numerous teachers, uh, you know, the mentors, Anthony, uh, myself, and and Jimmy, touching on some of these. So you're really getting a different perspective, a different emphasis on the things that uh, John wrote about. Last week, you had Anthony here, and he continued really with the same idea, warnings against false teachers about getting stuck in darkness, uh, and, and how John gave them, uh, encouraged them, gave them confidence that, you know, you have known, you have overcome, you are strong, as, as John was talking to the different uh, segments of the congregation that he was writing to. And then that, uh, I, I don't give you a new commandment, but I am giving you a new commandment. It's kind of like this is a new take on the old commandment, which is do not love the world. All right, today we're going <clears> to <throat> press on, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 29 of uh, chapter 2. And in this section, as well as the whole of the book, John is presenting a really sharp contrast between the lie, uh, the false teaching that was attacking the church, and the truth that Christians and believers then, as well as now, uh, must stand upon. <clears throat> The first section, verse 18 through 23, is really focused on the lie and the false teacher, and it is followed with uh, verses 24 through 29, which talks about how we're to respond and how we're to remain in our confidence and how we're to remain living in righteousness. Um, And so let's read the first section, verses 18 and 19. It says, Little children, it is the last hour. 
And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So, <clears throat> big words, scary words, the Antichrist. <laughs> Should have had graphics with you know, <clears throat> dragonflies with monster mouths, <laughs> right? Isn't that one of the images? <laughs> Scorpion, flying scorpions. <clears throat> um, it's the last hour. Well, if that was true 2,000 years ago when John wrote it. How much more true is it today? All right? We are in not only the last days, but we're in the last hours. Now, technically, or theologically, this refers to the time uh, between Jesus' resurrection, death on the cross, burial and resurrection, and his second return. Okay? And so this is like the last segment in the outworking of God's grace to bring about redemption to mankind. And it started way back in the Garden of Eden when he put into place uh, a means by which uh, he could redeem mankind to himself. And so we're now living in the last hour. And I like that term... Because we as Christians need to realize that we're living in the last hour. And we should live every day and every hour as though this this might be the last hour. You might not have lunch today. Or you might have lunch with Jesus at the the table of the feast of the Lamb. huh? I mean, do we really believe this? It's hard to keep that in the forefront of our mind because days go on. And I believe that we need to have, spiritually, we need to have our suitcases packed and ready to go. All right? But we also need to have a plan that, that uh, uh, goes beyond our lifetime. In other words, we're building a church here that I believe is going to be fruitful and, and, and changing lives long after I'm dead. All right. So if Jesus comes back tomorrow, hoorah! If he doesn't, I got a plan. All right. So we're we're living in the last hour, and we should uh, realize that this this and this this is not only for us how we how we live ourselves, but how we treat our world. This could be the last opportunity that people in that house uh, have the have the opportunity to to come to Jesus. You know. And the people that we interact with, I loved uh, the testimonies we heard while we were in Japan. Uh, we had a number of people that had been impacted by their ministry. And most of them were, you know, they were looking for some help. One, one young man was looking to learn English. And Dennis, that's what, how he started uh, when he moved to Japan. He taught English. And uh, he didn't just start taking them lessons. He invited them to Thanksgiving dinner. Of course, he had no idea what Thanksgiving was, <laughs> you know, and, and just inviting them into their lives and developing a relationship. That young man now, along with his wife, is pastoring a church in Hong Kong. Yeah, got saved, got filled with the bath, 
uh, with the Holy Spirit, got trained up, and then eventually was sent out to start a church in another city. And that's how the church works. So we're in the last hour. Then he starts talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist means against Christ, or I like this, the way this uh, puts it, in the place of Christ. Okay, something that comes in that substitutes for the reality of, of, of Christ and, and Jesus. Only John uses this term um, in this letter. Uh, it's not used in other places in Scripture. But Paul refers to a man of lawlessness, which we believe is probably the same person. And in Revelation, John uh, describes this uh, person, this individual that's going to be uh, influential in the world um, as the beast. <clears throat> So there is the Antichrist. You've heard about the Antichrist John talks about. And I'm not going to go into a lot of that because what's pertinent is John says, you know what? Um, There are many Antichrists already in the world. And so these are Antichrists that we have to deal with. And John's saying you have to deal with them as well. Uh, Antichrist is a principle of spiritual error. Okay, so it refers, the Antichrist refers to a specific individual that's going to be part of the end time outplay or outworking of God's will in, in redeeming the world and the enemy's attack against the church. But it's also a principle uh, of, of error or, or, or a, a heresy. And a title, it can be used as a title for anyone that teaches contrary to the true teaching of Jesus Christ. Uh, often, Antichrist, people that uh, take the place of Christ or, or, or uh, bring in deception, they don't directly oppose Jesus Christ. You know, if someone came up and says, you don't need to worship Jesus, well, it's pretty easy to, to say, well, they're, they're not to be listened to, you know, uh, when I go to the Buddhist temples in Japan, I'm not in any way enticed to become a Buddhist. Okay, in fact, I don't know why anybody would be, because they're scary. <laughs> the Shinto shrines, on the other hand, I can understand because they're beautiful places, but they're they're uh, deceptive. <clears throat> but here, these antichrists are are people that redefine Jesus. Or reimagine him. You know, he's, he's a good teacher. Uh, he was a moral person. But they pull back and they say, well, he is not God. That's a little bit too much. And so this Antichrist error is as rampant in our day as it was in John's day. And it's kind of interesting to hear that uh, even in the first century, this uh, lie was being. Uh, Um, was being dis, uh, distorted and redefined and reimagined by other teachers. John goes on and says, <clears throat> They went out from us, they being these antichrists, went out from us, uh, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. So he's He's talking about specific people who had been part of the church. 
but had come under the deception of an antichrist spiritual error and then left <clears throat> the church and left teaching truth and began teaching lies. And so the greatest danger, really, uh, to the church is often from within, not from without. And, and sometimes, this is why it's actually a good thing when there is external opposition to the church. All right? Uh, it's actually a good thing that uh, in our day, there's a lot of our culture that's, that's rejecting traditional Christianity. And the reason it's a good thing is because I've seen in my, in my 30 years of ministry, I've seen Christians who would not even speak to each other because they had differences of doctrinal uh, emphasis join up and work together to stand firm against the, the onslaught of secularism and humanism and attacks against the church. Are you hearing me? And so the church always prospers when there's a clear enemy uh, to our faith because it forces us to be reunited. And, uh, <clears throat> and, but when we are divided, when heresies, mistruths, uh, mis, uh, errors are allowed to exist within the church and bring division, that's what, that, that's what undermines our authority. That's what undermines our ability, our effectiveness to carry out our mission. So we don't know who John was talking about, but they had been part of the church. And I love this phrase. I got it from a commentary on this book. It says, defection from the fellowship gives evidence of a defective faith. Hmm. Uh, leaving the fellowship or the breaking down of community is a key strategy of Antichrist influence. Okay? And John is saying that's a way of identifying that they were actually Antichrist and that they left the church. And we've seen this. I've seen this. I, you know, not to slander in any way a person, but um, was it Rob Bell? Not Rob Bell, right? Yeah. Love Wins guy? Have you, how many have heard of Rob Bell? Okay, great. So I remember the first time I saw him was at a pastor's conference up in Grand Rapids. This was early on in his days, and he was an amazing teacher. <clears throat> in fact, there were about 300 pastors in the room, and this young guy in his mid-20s stood up and started talking, and everybody was, it was dead silent in the room. And at one point I looked around, and all of these pastors, all of them older than me at the time, were, they, we were sitting in there like this, because he was brilliant. He was a brilliant teacher, speaking really good stuff. But then all of a sudden, he gets super popular. And he's on TV all the time, and he's in the press all the time. And then he starts writing these controversial books. And now it's like, he's not one of us. I mean, maybe he's saved. I, that's not for me to judge. But he's teaching things that are completely contrary to the Word of God. And I, he came from us. He was one of us. Uh, he was a conservative, evangelical preacher of the highest caliber. But now he's preaching things that, you know, everybody probably ends up in heaven. 
and, and it, whatever lifestyle you want to live is okay because God is love. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not real love. <clears throat> um, there was a, a leader in our network in, the, in England who bought, up, bought into the what's called hyper-grace movement where it doesn't matter. Jesus died on the cross for sin, therefore sin has no more effect, therefore you can sin, and it won't affect you, and you'll go to heaven no matter what. Okay? And, and this person, fairly quickly, it was within the course of several years, that they rejected Christianity and now renounce everything that they used to teach. They actually said that they were, they were in a cult. They were a pastor of a church, an evangelical Christian church, very much like ours. But they rejected the truths of Scripture. And, and so people I've known have, have gone down this path. Um, and this, this defection of fellowship, in other words, the breaking of unity of community is one of the key distinctions of a defective faith. I'm not saying that every time someone leaves the church, it means they're in error, okay? But I'm saying that that is often a distinguishing mark of an antichrist or a, a false teaching that is undermining <clears throat> And that's one of the uh, things that keeps us safe is, is pastors and leaders and elders that have a good grasp of what the Scripture teaches that maintains, hey, wait a minute, what that you're saying there is not in alignment. And so there is a time where we say, no, that's, that's not true. Uh, or that doesn't line up, and we can't have that taught in our churches. And so, and this is what John is, is speaking to the church, to help them understand where the boundary is. He continues on. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He, I'm sorry, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So here John really delves into the errors that were being circulated by this Antichrist teaching. All right, and I'm going to try to tie this into how, how it affects us in our day as well. First of all, Christ means the anointed one. Right? And Antichrist is therefore the enemy of the anointing or the anti-anointed <laughs> okay, but Paul or John says you have an anointing, and there's there's actually a play on words here, but it's a very clear truth that these antichrists, these non-anointed teaching teachers, uh, you know what? We're not them because we actually have an anointing. We have the anointing, and the anointed one is is the title for Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. John assures the believer, remember that's one of his purposes, is to give them confidence that they possess an anointing that comes from God. And that anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's what the uh, imagery of the oil of anointing symbolized throughout all of the, all of the scripture is the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to uh, unpack that a little bit more in just a minute. It says, and you know all things. 
So how many, how many says, yeah, amen to that? I know all things. <laughs> well, let's just unpack this a little bit. What does that mean? Um, <clears throat> so an, another translation puts it this way. And you all have knowledge. Oh, well, that, that, that's different. <laughs> because you is almost always in the New Testament a plural. It's not you as an individual are all knowing. But you, you all, all of you have information. All of you have knowledge. Uh, it's not saying that we're omniscient. Um, what it is uh, saying is that we don't have to seek after some secret knowledge uh, that the false teachers were promoting. And that was really key to the heresy that was being uh, spread, is that there was, you know, yeah, Jesus is good, he was a good teacher, but you need to come into uh, a greater understanding and, 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 and experience something more. John identifies the false teaching as any lie that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? Any lie that denies the Father and the Son. And, and what's important there is that he, he changes and he starts calling Jesus, not Christ or Jesus, but the Son. And so the emphasis on the sonship of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God the Son. Uh, and any <coughs> teaching that uh, denies or, or diminishes the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ as the Son of God, uh, is Antichrist. And then he goes on and says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. In other words, if you deny Jesus, you don't have any connection with God. He says, and he who acknowledged the Son, and he's talking about Jesus, has the Father also. Because in Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus came to lead us to the Father. So Jesus as the Savior and the Son of God are the core lies John is confronting because they're the core truths of Christianity. What is Christianity all about? Is it keeping the Ten Commandments? Well, that's important. You know, is it going to church every week? Yeah, that's important. But ultimately, it's understanding who the person of Jesus is, how he is related to the Father, how we are related to the Father through Jesus Christ. Okay, And understanding that actually brings us into the experience of everything else. To these heretics, Jesus was important, but he wasn't preeminent. Preeminent means the most important, the thing that has to be first. He was significant in cults and, and other religions. They're, they're, they readily accept Jesus as significant, but not the Savior. Do you know the Muslims uh, believe that Jesus was one of the prophets? Right? Um, they won't argue with you about that. They believe that he was one of the prophets, but that Muhammad was the last prophet, and that we have to understand the things Jesus spoke uh, as interpreted by the way Muhammad uh, 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 taught. <clears throat> and so, uh, and that's the same with every call, every error within the church. They diminish the person and the place of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to make that same error, okay? Um, one scholar writes, uh, uh, explains this part in this way. 
To deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny that he is the Son of God. To reduce Jesus to the status of a mere man or to allow no more than a temporary indwelling of some divine power in him is to strike at the root of Christianity. And I think Anthony, as well as the Mensers, may have talked about that these were some of the heresies or these were some of the false teachings that were going on uh, in John's time that he was addressing, that some people were teaching that Jesus wasn't actually God, or that he was just a man who temporarily possessed divine powers, but that he himself wasn't fully divine. And, and John's saying, no, that, that idea is antichrist. There was also a teaching, uh, well, we won't go into it too much, but, uh, uh, but I'll mention it. Uh, some teachers also taught that he wasn't a man that he was just a spirit, uh, that he was something other than human. And so all of those things are diminishing the reality, the fullness of who Jesus really was. And John and the God in Scripture here is pounding on this truth that we must understand the person of Jesus Christ and we must live in the, the fullness of that understanding. These false teachers... Um, were present when John wrote the letter, and they've persisted to this day. Okay, and they continually keep cropping up. There's no new heresy under the sun. Every every heresy, every mistake is is just a mistake that was taught maybe a century ago or a, a, or a four or five hundred years ago, and it's kind of recirculating, and people think it's new. And the reason for that is because of the influence of the Antichrist spirit. Okay, and I believe it's a true demonic entity, uh, or if you wish to believe that it's just an influence, uh, you can. It's a spirit in any sense of the word. It's a, it's a spiritual influence. Uh, it persists, and it will persist until Christ returns and, and uh, gathers up all uh, anti-Christ spirits and all of the enemies of Christ and deals with them and locks them and throws them into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the reason the, the lies persist is because that spirit of deception persists and people get lulled into that deception and they think they're doing, they, you know, rarely do people, false teachers, think they're teaching false. They think that they've got the best idea out, uh, but they get deceived. So false teaching actually should, uh, shouldn't scare us. It actually should give us confidence. That's one of the reasons John wrote the letter. Why? Because it means that we're continuing to fight the good fight. Uh, uh, in one sense, nothing has changed. We're standing firm, and we're standing uh, uh, in the truth against heresy, against a deception. So John now switches and begins to instruct us on how to respond to these false teachers. And again, um, you know, how do we come about this false teaching? Uh, I'll tell you, really easy. If you watch television, you're going to hear it. It's very deceptive. Um, I haven't done a lot of research. One, because I don't watch much television, and I watch 
the only time I watch movies is when I'm, when I'm on an airplane because <laughs> I'm stuck in a chair for, for hours. So, and there's a screen there, so what are you going to do? <laughs> but uh, what was that movie? The, the, uh, everybody liked it. Shack, the, the Shack. Oh, man, I had some friends that were like, this is like the gospel. And they were doing sermon series on it. And I, I never got around to reading the book, so I'm like, That's, I'm glad you're excited about it. But now this guy's come out with another book. And apparently, from what I've been told by reliable sources, it basically says that everything uh, that the New Testament teaches is wrong. All the reasons why Christianity is wrong. Right? And so this book that pastors were saying, this is, this is the gospel, ended up being written by someone who had another agenda. And that was to undermine some of the basic foundational truths of the gospel. It was a good story. Okay? Um, and you got to be careful. It's like The Matrix. I don't know if you remember, I remember that movie. <laughs> and so many people thought, this is so good. And I'm like, guys, there is so much bad, so many bad ideas in that movie. And so it is, it, it, these, tr these lies, these heresies infiltrate even the news. Right? They even infiltrate Christian teachers, uh, TV preachers, radio programs. They slip little things in. They believe it's true or they believe it's accurate. But we need to be careful because these lies are, are we are warned in scriptures, in the scripture then, uh, that these lies are going to persist. And any time we, we, we notch down our understanding or our, our belief in the person and the role of Jesus Christ, we're, we're being influenced in an antichrist way. And so we have to be on guard. <clears throat> and, and this, John tells us how to respond to these lies. He says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. It, I like the simplicity of this. And maybe sometimes things are so simple it's hard to understand or apply. But it's really simple. The word abide is one of John's favorite terms, one of the ideas that he constantly revisits. It's actually used 23 times in this little short letter and seven times in the passage that we're talking through today. Um, <clears throat> it's a common expression used by John, and it, it embodies uh, two ideas, both the idea of union and communion. And so union being in unity with someone else, but also this communion, this, this sharing, this going back and forth, all right? And so abiding, <clears throat> it means to dwell, it means to remain, it means to don't leave, <laughs> it means to stay, um, it means to be in unity and in communion. And so it says that if we are... Uh, how we respond to the lie is to abide in that which we heard from the beginning. And so what did they hear? They heard the word of the gospel. And, and, and the word is not only what was spoken, but in John's letter. You know, John had written the gospel. And I think he's assuming 
everyone that's reading this letter probably read his gospel. And his gospel starts out, in the beginning was the, and the, was with God and was God. And so uh, the people who are reading this letter knew he was talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, The word we heard from the beginning must abide in us so that we will continue to abide in the Son and the Father. Paul says the same thing in in one of my favorite verses. It's uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the word Christ needs to abide in us, lives in us, but then we also need to abide in the Son and the Father. And, and, And in Colossians later on it says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so there's this unity, this communion, in that God's in us, but we're in God. How does that work? I have no idea. All right? All I know is that that's the life that we're called to. Uh, I actually think, well, I'll get to this in a minute. False teachers always try to add something, a secret knowledge, a secret practice, a secret experience, Uh, But the Bible tells us to stick to the foundations. And this is actually, and let me just be really straightforward here. Uh, So we're a church that believes in the infilling of the Holy Spirit and and what's commonly referred to as charismatic gifts. And uh, some fundamentalists who are uh, part of the church that believe that those things ceased when Scripture, the uh, canon of Scripture was completed, actually accuse um, uh, uh, churches like us of adding to Christ. Okay? And I just want to assure you, that's not at all what we're doing. Okay? And that's a misunderstanding that I love to have a conversation with people that are fundamentalists, um, because I'm more fundamentalist than the fundamentalist. All right, I really am, <clears throat> uh, um, and 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 their their idea that they're defending is actually true. Is is that they're misunderstanding what we're saying? Uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something that is in addition to Christ, uh, and this this scripture actually explains that. Um, and anybody that wants to add uh, that you need something beyond Jesus Christ in order to be right with God is is heresy, okay? Because in Christ is everything. And this is a, actually a historically famous saying, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All right? Simple to remember, right? Paul says it a little more wordy uh, in Second Corinthians. He says, for all the promises of God in him that is in Jesus Christ, everything God promises in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. He who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, same idea that John is talking about, this anointing that we have, who has also sealed us and given us, his, uh, given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit is part of the everything that we get when we come into Christ. It's not something in addition to Christ. It's what we get in Christ and through Christ because in Christ we have access to all of the promises of God. Everything that God promised 
is yes to you, is amen to you because of Christ. Uh, And this is the promise. John sums it up. He says eternal life, life to the abundance. Uh, In Christ we gain everything. All right, i got to keep going. Verse 26 through 27 says, These things I have written to you uh, concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Hmm. You don't need anybody to teach you. Did you know that was in the Bible? All right. And... uh, uh, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Okay, John's purpose is to prevent deception. The anointing that he's referring to here, as he referred to earlier, is the Holy Spirit. Again, he explains this in the gospel that he wrote. John said in uh, John 16, um, Jesus uh, he's recording the words of Jesus. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. In other words, in Christ, Jesus Christ promised us this anointing. And the anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit. And that person of the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all truth. So we don't need any other teacher to teach us something that's contrary uh, to the teaching of Christ or the teaching of the Holy Spirit or the teaching of God's Word. All right? John's not saying we don't need a teacher. We don't need someone like me teaching you this. Uh, if he was, why would John have written the letter <laughs> teaching them these things? All right? And so that's a, that's a misunderstanding of John's Uh, a phrase there. He's saying we don't need any teaching or any teacher that contradicts to that abiding Holy Spirit that we have, to the abiding of the Son that dwells in us and us in Him. In Galatians, Paul says it this way. He said, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So we don't need a new teaching or a new teacher. We need to abide or remain in the truth. Any new truth is heresy. Okay? Now, there can be a renewed understanding of something that has gotten forgotten, something that has gotten lost, you know, but it should be able to be found in Scripture. And it actually should be able to be found in church history. Uh, you know, and if it's not, then you have to go, wait a minute. Is this really, is this a, is a right understanding or is it, is it not? And, and the truth is, everything is in Scripture and we don't need to look any further. And everything is in, in agreement with the, it, the, what we heard at the beginning, the abiding. So he concludes with this. He says, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence uh, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practiced righteousness uh, is born of him. So John is continuing that purpose of teaching how do we live righteously? How do we, how, how do we 
uh, how are we protecting against false teaching? How do we have confidence? And how do we live this out in a right way? And it all boils down to dwelling or abiding, staying, not leaving him, Christ. It's relationship, okay? No aspect of our lives should be outside of Christ, all right? And, and the only way that I can, I can figure a, an analogy of this is, is a relational. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, you know, in, in marriage, you don't do anything that's contrary to one another. And if you do, it breaks apart the unity of the marriage. In my marriage with my wife, we don't keep secrets. It's not like my wife can go out and do things and, 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 and keep that, or I can go out and live a life that's secret. And if that does happen, it breaks down the relationship. I don't want to do anything that's outside of my relationship with my wife. And so that's true in a marriage to a degree. But in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it needs to be to the ultimate degree. That means every thought should be held captive to Christ. That's a verse, right? We don't want any part of our lives sticking outside of Christ. Anything, any practice, any idea, any, 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 uh, any behavior to be contrary to the person and the character of Jesus whom we're called to stay in. All right, and that's that's a relationship. It's not just a set of rules, guys. Okay, uh, there may be some rules to help preserve the relationship, but it's all about relationship, and that's what the abiding means. That we need to stay in relationship, and if we're in right relationship with the Son, we will be in right relationship with the Father, and we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's why. Uh, it all works in unity. <clears throat> and he says, I don't know if you remember, the opening verse of the, today's message was verse 18, where John said, now many antichrists have come. That's kind of scary. But here he says, the response is, now abide in him. So our response to all those scary antichrist teachings that are out to destroy is simply stay in Christ. Stay in relationship until he appears. And when he appears, everyone's going to know it. All right? <clears throat> and that produces a confidence and a righteousness that will endure till the end. Amen? Amen. All right. So if you want the notes, if you care to, uh, to look it up and prove any of my statements to be inaccurate, you can come and tell me that. And I love that because I love being right, and if someone can show me, if someone can show me where I'm wrong, then I can be more right. So, <laughs> but some people ask me for some of the notes, so I put, put up the link and you can look at that. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've called us not just to follow a set of rules, but to be in relationship. And Lord, we thank you that you've preserved these letters from ancient days that we can read and apply to our lives today. And I pray that uh, each person here uh, would abide in you, and in you would have the fullness of all the promises of God. And Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't accepted you as, as Lord and Savior, that hasn't come into that relationship with the Son, 
that, uh, that uh, makes them right with the Father. I pray that their uh, heart and their soul, uh, their mind today would accept that truth. And if there's anyone here that, that has confessed Jesus as, as Lord, but to, we're not living fully inside that relationship, I pray that we would re- be led to repent and uh, recommit our lives to you wholly, completely. Father, that we could all leave here today uh, as representatives of you, Jesus, to our communities, to our families, uh, Lord, uh, so that we can see a change in our world, in our lifetime. And we dedicate this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.